enterprise continues Stop letting people talk you out of your power. How do we build a movement that allows us to respond to all the names that people don't know? People begin to think it's isolated. That's the problem. We're not angry enough. This is Life After the Impact, a podcast for impacted families by impacted families that focuses on what happens after the media, the lawyers, and the activists are gone. When the cameras are gone, people leave. We have to be there for each other. Impacted families are left to face the loss of a loved one to police-sponsored violence. We will focus on their continued fight for justice and how you can get involved. I tell families, you know, fight. Everybody can do something that you don't have to sit home and feel helpless and hopeless. We gotta stop allowing people to talk about our power. That's the main thing. can't change overnight. But we gotta start somewhere, might as well go ahead and start here. We didn't have- so you all normally what we do is on Tuesdays at nine o'clock. We've been doing this um after our first episode. This was January the fourth, Mother's Day weekend of this year. We have had forty-two episodes as of today. Today is the forty-second episode of Life After Impact. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
People are not afraid of us if we just yell and scream and throw a rally and just go away. They're not afraid of us. But when we put power behind our protest, that's when we're going to see real change. So at this time, we just want to find out who's in the room with us this evening, so that we can um, we like to stand up, say your name, and tell us who your loved one is, because we believe that even though they're not with us physically, they're still with us in spirit. You know what? It started like I put somebody down. I'm like, I want to do that. So who wants to go first? Pass the mic. Good evening, everyone. My name is Pamela Brooks. My son's name is Amir Brooks, killed August 6, 2014. Good evening. My name is Mary Gray Hopkins, and I am the mother of Gary Hopkins Jr., who was murdered on November 27, 1999. And just for a week or so, uh, it'll be 24 years since Gary was murdered by two French Jones County police officers following his attendance at a dance where he had broke up uh, a fight. He was being a peacemaker that particular night. And so Gary Ross's life was stolen unnecessarily on that day. I am also the, the, the co-founder and the executive director of the Coalition of Concerned Mothers, an organization that's comprised of mothers, unfortunately, that have lost their loved ones' lives stolen to police and community violence. My name is Corey Ben. Son of Isaiah Hill, he was killed on January 2021. Basically, he was killed by the King State Troopers, and we still fight in court right now. I've got a case appeal right now, and we'll just keep fighting until we can't fight no more. That's very much it. Thank you, Corey. How y'all doing? My name is Kevin Bertrand, CEO of Honest Intervention Prevention. As Um, I started my activism and advocacy work um, 
from Virginia House of Delegates in 2021. And from there to like to it, just said I just finished my race for Senate in the 25th district um, just last week. So um, criminal justice reform is something I'm very passionate about, and I am honored to be amongst all of you guys tonight. Um, I'm April Goggins, and I'm here with Black Lives Matter DC, um, and also East of the River Mutual Aid, this is my neighborhood, um, so I'm glad this is happening here. Um, I have been with Black Lives Matter DC, not part of the National Black Lives Matter organization, um, since 2015, um, and in this area, I work um, around police violence, policing, surveillance. Um, as well as um, non-police solutions to intercommunity violence. Um, so, yeah. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Kofi Nan. I am the um, uh, my my entry into uh, activism was around 2016, uh, around the time that Mike Brown and Castillo and some other folks uh, were making some national headlines, and, and at that point, it seemed like uh, it was just a more of a more of awareness, um, at least a spike in awareness. Let's say kind of go back and forth about police brutality. And currently, at, uh, at the time, I wasn't active uh, really too much. I was just kind of upset and wanted to get involved. So I, I joined the Fairfax County NAACP, um, and like nine months later, I was like the president. <laughs> so it was really not a whole lot of uh, activity going on. Uh, that to say, uh, we went on to uh, become actually one of the in the country and one of them being the, the best branch in the country uh, two years later uh, because we, we you know, transformed some things. A lot of it centered around police reform. We got a lot of things changed uh, there. And then a couple years later, I ended up leaving the NAACP, but uh, went on to start another organization called the Activated People, which led a statewide coalition uh, around the town of the Floyd protest where we, we were able to get a lower test of laws, uh, police reform laws passed in Virginia. Um, I'm really happy to, to be here, um, sad that some of these circumstances, and my condolences to everyone who's, uh, who's lost someone to police violence. Um, I'm glad that we're still having these discussions because, as we know, like once the media attention has subsided, um, and you know, it's just the, the, the media kind of chases after the, the shiny object, you know, and so this is still affecting us. The number of police killings have not actually gone down or, or changed at all since the, since the, uh, since the George Floyd protest. There's no federal legislation. Um, nothing really has essentially been done. So it's really up to us to keep beating that drum. And so I'm glad that, that we're here still put up the fight for, for changes.
one year ago, that's all I talked to each other because that's how the community is, right? It's not going to dictate what's going on today. So can I make a suggestion? Since we want to make a community, can I get y'all to come say so 
on how candidates are going to represent legislation and how laws are now going to navigate down in Richmond. So I think that for myself, specifically as a candidate, I think the biggest impact that would have had on my race and would have also aligned me to continue doing the work that I'm doing on a consistent basis with criminal justice reform is to have that level of support system where we are advocating for very, very specific laws that are actually hurting families um, in the Commonwealth and not helping families. So that to me, that would have been a huge impact and near future, that is something that we are talking about as far as implementing and creating and something that all of you guys, I look forward to all of you guys being a part of because we have amongst an entire audience that has been impacted directly. Um, but it comes down to intention, right? 
not everybody is for everybody. Um, and not everybody understands what people who are directly impacted really want and need. Um, so then you may have an organization who uh, says we're going to help, but we want you to do this thing for us or say it this way if you want our support, right? And then they may say, hey, we're going we're gonna to do these town halls like this. This is a grassroots um, kind of a, a approach of, of a long history of, um, of ways that we educate and come together as a community. And an organization may come in here when they say, yeah, I'm going to help. They come to a few events. And then in three months, they're doing the same thing. And they've taken all of your connections. They've taken, they named the logo. Um, and have, have, have been able to, a lot of times, take and, and get money and resources in order to shut you out. Um, and then there's, you know, uh, using not only your experience um, as a way to make money, but exploit, exploiting your continued pain, your continued trauma, um, and doing and, and making their um, existence, um, making sure that they can stay um, in, I don't want to say power, but have the resources that they want by then making their jobs or their organization um, have to exist. So their needs, they need to not buy this hard um, so that there will be a reason for people to pay them <laughs> to keep fighting, right? So it takes the power from us by using our intellectual property, you know, our intellectual property, as well as our fight and our pain um, to gain some kind of uh, recognition, expertise. Um, and then the other part of that is we live in a society that really values expertise and, and authority. So now the outside world is only seeking um, input. Uh, you know, They only want the input, they only want the participation from those folks who have now co-opted it from those directly impacted. Okay, but let me ask you a question, though. Leave 
two years into my administration, become one of the largest and most successful branches in, in the country. And I, I highlight that experience, I mean, that, to, to show that you don't have to necessarily come in with any experience. Like, it's stuff a lot of times ain't rocket science, right? Um, you, don't, you don't even need a ton of money, right? Like, I, I was like one of like the worst when it came to fundraising for our branch, right? You know, like $2,000 in a bank when I left, right? Um, but that little bit of money, like, we're still we're number one branch in the country, right? So, like, activism doesn't necessarily take a lot of resources, it doesn't necessarily take a lot of um, uh, expertise. So, a lot of times, with people with the quote unquote expertise, are people who are honestly there as gatekeepers. And um, so, like, to try to keep the status quo in place. And so, don't be intimidated. Because I was, myself, obviously, as you can imagine, I was intimidated, you know, when I first took office as, as the branch president because I did not have that expertise and experience. So, like, me walking into a room speaking to, like, the, you know, chairman of the board, supervising the police chief, and all this other stuff, it was intimidating at first. But then it took, after a while, I realized. We never really know nothing more than I do, you know. Like, and so it's just, and it's nothing that I can't overcome. A little bit of hard work and sense of research, you know, because none, nothing that's happening right now is new. Ain't nothing about the situation that we're talking about is, is new under the sun. We we've been having these same conversations ten years ago, twenty years ago, fifty years ago, hundred years ago. So, and the, the solutions a lot of times have been the proposed solutions have been the same. So, like, if you come in with something new, something fresh, or something like that, it's, it's probably a good thing. It's probably better than what's already been done. So don't be intimidated by that. Okay, thank you. And, and just to honestly conclude with all I know, I can tell you now that when you've been impacted by some this level of injustice, you will become an expertise, right? This is a journey, this is a learning mechanism. You're going to learn everything as you go along. And I share that with saying, and I'm, and I'm actually very open and public about this, I always tell everyone, three or four years ago, I could tell you guys exactly what a piece of legislative or a bill even was. I learned what a bill was through a family that was impacted by police. Literally, one law, when I asked the family, I simply asked the mother who lost her son to go down to a police station, and when you get there, all you need is your driver's license, because this is what they told me. They told me all, all she's going to need is her driver's license and his death certificate, and that they were going to release the criminal justice, the investigation file to the family. I said, okay, how bad could this be? Well, when I sent the mom down there, the police not only said that they shredded the records, but they also used a code of law against her to not release the records, right? So for me coming in this saying, what was that code of law that they used against you? Because I can promise you, this, to this day moving forward, that they're going to regret using that code of law against you. And now I stand in front of all of you guys with one week of closing a Senate campaign. So when I'm telling you, you don't have to be an expertise and you won't. You just have to care. You have to be passionate. You have to know that you are here. Your pain is purposeful. You know, and you're going to utilize that to shift work to the greater good. There are people in the world and communities that are leaning on you, that need you. You know, and your testimony, not only are you a survival of it, but now you are called to a greater good to save the lives of thousands and thousands of other people. And that is what you're going to learn, and you become an expertise on the way of that. Absolutely. <laughs> I think part of the, like you said, survival of our perspective is that we're parents, you know, and how we're supposed to. Yeah, we're going to do that. Because we're parents, right? So 
So I don't want to come from like an extra mortgage, some of that. I really don't want to like have a face every single day, you know. So that's like that's the bad part about it. But we are loving like along the way, whatever. Um, how would you say? Or how would you have to say? How do we as a community begin to like be educated on good facts? On even like you said too, we have to work here to maybe at the middle block, but we can't tap into it because we got things that come into play. We can't just all that power to come into play. So how do we get to move forward? Thank you. 
ACL, where would I even start? And next thing you know, they're on their, their name is on the ballot. And when, when, and when their name is on the ballot, now the entire community that is connected to this individual who is born and raised in this county is running a campaign, now other people want to get involved because they support that person. So I know that local elections matter, state elections matter. They matter, they matter, they matter, because these elections are affecting us on a consistent basis. So if I could give anybody advice, and when I say that your vote matters, it does, because I just closed out a campaign last week and I did not win. With that being said, I'm still here one week later in front of all of you guys today. Nothing is going to stop this work that we're doing. I always tell people nothing will stop what God has intended for us. In the meantime, I tell people, we start local. Find out whose land is underneath on the homies on my, my, my house, and that is all my own land down that route. That's where my level of activism starts. Start from where you are, right in and there, and work your way out into your community. And I'm telling you, I've had the most positive effect and have changed the most lives and done the most work on a local mechanism. So know who your board of supervisors are, know who your local school board candidates are, and any of you guys, figure out what you, we all care about criminal justice reform because we've all directly been impacted. But we also have to dig a tad bit deeper into figuring out where else. Because these policies are going to navigate. And trust and believe, people who run on a local level will then transition and run on a state level. People who run on a state level are then going to transition and run on a congressional level. Right? Yeah. So it's like, you see, it's a, it's a domino effect of people working their way in. And any of us in this space and anybody that's watching in this, that could be you in this position. So it's like we all have to figure out what we truly care about the most and figure out right then and there on a local mechanism how we can get involved and then grow from there. Yeah, and, and just wanted to add one more thing to that. There's there's a period between elections that a lot of us just kind of forget about. Like we show up the boat and then we go home and then we forget about whoever we voted for until the next election. And I think therein lies probably the bigger problem. Because they kind of do whatever they want to do. There's no accountability. There's no there's no follow-up. You know, voting is like, you know, you send somebody to do it, you hire somebody to do a job. Okay, but then you still have to go check on them to make sure they're actually doing the thing that you that you signed and you pay them for, right? And so a lot of times we forget to actually keep remain engaged throughout the year. And I know it's challenging, we all got lives, but like we can't just vote. So, great example. <laughs> I got tons of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think a great example is like you mentioned the, the school board, right? Mm -hmm. like, we, I don't know about here in DC, but I know that I was in Fairfax. Like, sometimes we like to kind of do like a school board meeting, right? And the only people that show up are honestly people who are passionate about working against our interests a lot of times. They are organizing mm -hmm. on the roads, and we're not there. You know, these um, are the things that we should, we are most directly impacting our kids. Um, so it's just you know we we, we focus a lot on the presidential stuff because that's what comes to our our phones and our TV and, and everything else, and we forget about all of the, the school. A lot of times people don't even know who their councilman is, right? But that's that's the one that's responsible for your streets, your neighborhoods, you know? and so. It's, it's just important to like show up to all of those little meetings in between and get involved with your local organizations. Make sure that they're actually advocating for you.
And being here in D.C. since we are not a state, um, I think, but also bringing attention to talking about local, is that D.C., I, I think you also have to be very um, intentional about understanding where you are and where the power lies. Um, D.C., and I'll tell you, for example, right here in this neighborhood, our ANC, our Area Neighborhood Commissioners, have great weight, which is something that doesn't exist everywhere. So if you are, a, if you are, it's an elected position, it's a nonpartisan elected position, and each one of these commissioners has a, a single member district. So for this area right here, we have two of my very favorite agencies, and I don't look, y'all will not usually find me praising a government official, period. Um, but these two, um, uh, Jamila and um, Robin in this area, do what we elect people to do, and that is they show up. They're not biased. They'll call me when someone, uh, when there's a, uh, any kind of violence, right? They are not just showing up when it's, when it's gun, gun violence. Um, but they know the importance of people in their constituency. Um, that they show up when someone is killed by police or someone is brutalized by police uh, because they understand the connection those. So we lucked out. But we've had to work really hard on getting arrested at ANCs. Stop asking for more police, right? Like, and, and it's hyper local, but here in DC, we don't have to say we have our council members, we can move a little bit. Um, but yes, that stop forgetting who you are electing. Our mayor has been elected three times. Three times. And for every single one of the groups that I have ever worked with, whether it's housing, whether it's policing, whether it's um, reproductive rights, nothing has changed. And when we talk about people not being able to show up, another thing that folks did here is they forced the council to have multiple ways for people to be able to testify. Something people thought about, we've been fighting for that for 15 years, at least ever since I've been here. And so now, you can send in video. You can do Zoom, not just COVID, all the time. Because what we know is 90% of the people are working during that time. You can't show up, right? And what we have gotten is the ability to have more folks get their voices out there, right? But that took a community effort of saying like, well, we're not gonna accept this anymore, right? Because then all we got when we were working on policing was council members telling us this is just you know people from outside of the government, outside of DC, the outside agitators, uh, they don't live here, they don't care. But then you start getting black native Washingtonians that are saying the same things because the things are true. It changes that power dynamic. You can do what you do, but don't get mad when we show up where you are because showing up means we're holding you accountable. Don't get upset when we're outside of your house. Because as long as the police are outside of my house, because of what I'm saying, you don't get that kind of you don't get that kind of peace. Because your constituents don't have that kind of peace, right? And so there are many, many ways that we go about pushing change, right? We don't have a state, so I'm not, you know, Eleanor Horton Thornton is poor for the most part. So that's what we nice. So, but us going there is not going to get us a vote. In Congress, so we're not gonna we're we're not gonna put our our. Uh, all the saying that people 
energy into that, right? Because what we know is right here in this neighborhood, we have, uh, let's start D.C. D.C. has more than 32 independent police departments, eight university police departments, and six outside, outside um, law enforcement agencies. And what we know is each one of them has an interdepartment contract or agreement, MOU, with D.C. police with the Metropolitan Police Department. So you wonder why we've had two murders, um, one by Park Police and one by the U.S. Marshals. Because they can. D.C. has learned how to connect all of these agencies into one unit with the biggest sprawling surveillance apparatus in the country and perhaps in the world. Some of the same companies that are in Gaza. We'll just be very clear about that. Our police department trains with the IDF. So if you live in a city where the people who make decisions are down the street from you, you show up, right? Everybody can show up, right? COVID is real. Folks with different abilities. But you find a way for people to use what they have to be able to push for the kind of accountability that gets things done for the people get out. That's right. And so the last thing I'll say, we talked earlier about the importance of being able to learn together. So one of the things that we should bring back is people's assemblies. When you talked about how the Panthers were able to elect people from their party, it's because they stood up, they sat up, and system of accountability that started on the campaign trail that said, we will only endorse you as your voters if you commit to these things. And you're signing a social contract with us that says, one moment that you stray from this, we will pull your car. You will not get political protection. We will not stand for you. We will not vote for you. And if you really ask them, we know how to do a recall. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's that kind of understand the power where it lies. If I get six ANC commissioners at a meeting to vote for what we need on my block, that's an immediate change I will see the next step. When I call my ANC and I say there are five police cars outside of my house shining their lights because I'm going to testify tomorrow, tomorrow and the ANC calls a watch captain and it doesn't happen again, that's hyperlocal. Right? Now, I'm not saying it always works, but it is about I'm right here, you're right there, this is what I want you to do. All right, y'all. One last thing I want to talk about as well. Um, when we talk about our local level as well, when it comes um, about classism, how would you guys say, of course, like, um, I like to use the word classroom because, you know, we don't want to see the signs out there that say black bathroom or white person or whatever not. But classroom is super, super, super real. And classroom is a vibe such as other towns and white people tell me. Would anybody that wants to kind of elaborate as far as what classroom means? Anybody? I mean, classism <clears throat> comes from, honestly, social construct. So, like, talk about hierarchies and how people are, are placed. We talk about early, early, I believe it's Karl Marx, 
we talk about blue jersey and commentary and things. So basically, that was a perfect way for them to separate the majority from the minority. Um, but the social construct aspect of it is that classes that we identify with, honestly, are based on um, financial wealth or ownership or just capital and power. So when we talk about the need for equity, that's what it is to prioritize the fact that classism shouldn't even exist um, because it's not proportional for us. I was just going to add that um, the classism shouldn't even exist because it's not
trajectory that is going to keep going to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. We don't want to leave our children in a situation where they can be fearful for their lives because of police, because you got a, 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 a tree hanging over your rearview mirror, and that can be the, the, the difference between life and death. We don't want that for our children and our grandchildren. So how do we change that? I know we've had some dialogue today to talk about voting and how important it is to vote locally. And I think that people tend to forget that the power is in us. I think that we are going to have to start there until we overhaul and dismantle and start over. I think that there has to be some interim work that's done. I think we need to ensure that, again, we're voting in the right people. That we're identifying collectively what it is that we want to see to hold police. I mean, police and um, you know, just the whole justice system accountable. We need to begin to create what that looks like, and not not ask but demand that these changes occur. Uh, and, and it's going to require us because I know a lot of times when we're going and we having these kind of meetings, it's the same people. We need to look into how do we bring the all folks out and together and then get them to buy in. Because as long as we continue to, uh, just to be a few and they're impacted families and then their organizations that are supporting this, this, this change and not trying to bring in the masses, we're going to continue to see what we're seeing. I mean, like we said, there's a thousand every year, now it's a thousand ninety-five this year. I often say that when I think about Gary and I think of, and that's number, this 1,000 has been the magic number for many, many years now. So I think about the loss of Gary in 1999. You're talking 24,000 plus people. Now, that should definitely be enough for us to say that we have to work collectively, right, in order to be able to put some changes in. We, you know, we talk about some of the policies. We talk about the Justice Department and looking at um, national legislation, you know, Anyone can look at George Floyd and see that they murdered this man. And for people not to put something in place in qualified immunity and some of these other things, these chokeholds, and think that this does not have to be done, you know, and I don't have the answer. You know, I am an impacted person and I am, you know, on the front lines. I'm doing grassroots work and, and that sort of thing. But I think without the, without the people demanding the changes, it's going to continue to happen.
I'll, I'll tie this back in, into my um, conversation earlier about uh, experience and then being willing to disrupt the, the system. So when I, it's actually kind of a messy ending to how I left the Fairfax Outlook in the place to be. Uh, I won't get into that. <laughs> so this kind of, it, it had a little bit to do with, you know, some of the establishment kind of um, doing some messy stuff. Anyway, I run with some feathers. Never, I still have to say, um, I had a, I had a coffee with the chairman of board supervisors on Melville after I left, um, and she said I came in like a bull in a china shop, right? And if you know what they're saying, that basically means you came in and you were just wrecked yourself, right? <laughs> and she didn't necessarily mean it as a compliment, right? But I took it as a compliment because those same systems that they want you to respect are the same systems that have been designed to oppress us. So like, you have to be willing to break the system, you have to be willing to, to smash some dishes. And um, and, I, and, I, and I take that as a compliment, actually, so I, I, I said over there, I actually titled uh, my memoir about my journey into activism, Bull in a China Shop, um, after after that, um, after giving that, that, that uh, nickname or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I think we have to be willing to be disruptive. We have to be willing to let the young people be. We have to be willing to, to, to try different things and not necessarily be so um, beholden to these systems and these orders and the procedures and, and waiting for your, your turn and all this other stuff that they try to tell you to do. Right? Look out, think outside the box. For me, it's challenge and arrogance. The reason that there are 95 more is because y'all keep asking for more police. More police means more police violence. It means more police murders. It means more in-custody in deaths. More prisoner prisons, they gotta fill them. And it's not actually true. Y'all are being lied. And I say, y'all, we are all being lied to. We are being lied to. They are exploiting the real fear and pain and grief of the violence in this community, of our community, not just DC, all over, to justify the status quo on steroids. There is no, absolutely, and I'm talking about DC, there's absolutely no data to back up the fact that we need more police. And people are okay with that. It has been in the newspaper for four months that the new chief, Pamela Smith, cannot get officers in line to actually talk to the, uh, the, doc, the office of the auditor to complete the report on how many police we need. MPD has never tracked it. If you follow the police union, you will see that some days it's thousand officers that they're short of. Some days it's 400. But you read the police commissioner report that they asked for and it tells you that we are working on numbers that were the same in 1950. They are built off of nothing. There is no data. When, and then they look at the violence intervention. Sorry, I've been doing this for a long time. The violence intervention and they want to say, how's that working out for but y'all forgot when we were out here in the streets telling you that your mayor cut that bill up to sabotage us, so it wouldn't work. Here we are. It is not. It is not 
It is not the fault of these grassroots organizations that are working on violence. It is a system that is making it so that we need police. If there's still violence, we still have a reason to have police. If we still have carjackings, we, have, we need more police because there are more carjackings. When the data shows us that it's a very small number of people committing 95% of the violence. And the police know who they are. Just, I don't want, I'm not advocating for the police to have anybody. But what I'm saying is we are allowing ourselves to act in ways that are against our best interests. It is not good for you to have more police on your block. Because then you're going to be thinking, oh, I should listen to you for this. I should listen to you. I'm sorry for calling you all of this and that because my son is now in the hospital with a broken arm from a police officer. And that's not a I told you so moment. That's a what could we have done better? Stop being lied to. Change the narrative in every room. I hate going to those police events and, and, and the community town halls. But now I go. And I go because I have the data. And I go because I realize my neighbors just don't have the information. Period. It's not a lot. So we had an officer, and I'll close with this, we had an officer come to talk about public safety in this neighborhood. He told what a straight face told our community that crime went down 90% during COVID. And everybody was like, oh. No, it doesn't even sound right. And you're not questioning it. Meanwhile, over 60 people have been killed by police since Mayor Ballard has been made. Mm. All right. Um, just been meditating because it, it's a lot. Um, um, but she hit it on the nail when she said that the power of change is inside of us. That is 100% true. And, um, and it's something that I say all the time, whether I've been, I feel like I'm somebody that has been, I have been literally as an activist on a journey. And so my journey started with helping one family that was impacted. Um, and, uh, and that turned into helping five families, six families, 10 families. So I've been a part of the entire process as far as what that looks like to get, get an autopsy report. The people that we have to go through to get a criminal investigation file, the type of laws that we have to change, and I can tell you from being starting at the very bottom into where I'm at now, the reason why I'm a part of politics and I'm involved in the infrastructure now is because I know that the ultimate change for this to just to stop for for us to have some level of equity and evolve and live in a full life and come out of survival mode um, is still going to happen through legislation. It really is. Like the, I helped one family get a criminal investigation report, right? But I turned around and we, we decided to tackle the law. There was a law in place that was not allowing, we were one out of 17 states in Virginia, that was not allowing families to have investigation files, and I know you know about this too, because they were denying the Freedom of Information Acts, right? So even though it was a lot of work to help one family, but we changed that one law. That law has changed now. You know, that law got signed in 2021. Now we were able to help thousands of families. 
right? And by changing the law, now police officers have to be held accountable. Now you actually have to be to do an investigation correctly. You know why? Because in that bill and in that law, when it close, when the the law is stated for now, when the investigation is over, all records have to be released to the family. Before that, they could keep they could bring your child home in a body bag and you not ask questions, you not get records. Police are allowed to investigate themselves, right? And you not get a receipt or paperwork or anything to that. But now with that new law, now you better do that investigation right. Because when that closes, I want everything from my child. I want everything, all transparency. And that's going to help navigate how police are even investigating. It's like the ripple effect, it is still, I mean, I really have been on a journey to figure out how we can bring forth the ultimate change in this entire infrastructure. And it just still goes back to legislation. You know, like that one bill being able to just help thousands instead of, you know, one or two or three. So it's really about us. I, like, I mean, I've done some work, some writing work and some things like that. And, and I talk about, like, the power of a bill. What does that look like? And walking one family through a bill that was actually changed. You know, but you're, you're, you're learning it through the, the pain and suffering and the journey of an actual family now what that looks like. Because I tell people all the time, get involved, don't wait till it comes to your door. Everybody that's here tonight is because it was at our door, right? And we, and we had to get involved. So it's really about organizing and aligning everyone to figure out where they're going to fit in this infrastructure and uniting. There's nothing more powerful than us uniting. It is something that people fear of. Yeah, there's nothing more powerful than us we get nowhere if you're working against each other. You know, we all have to have empathy from each other's stories and the things that we have been through and each other's suffering and figure out how we, we can unite to do this work for the greater good. Because this level, like, what does justice even mean for a family? I work with a family now, like, granted, it's going to court, but even after court, even after the money, do they still feel like they've gotten justice? Justice is a never, it feels like a never ending fight. You know, that's the thing about this level of pain. There's no end to it. It is something that families have to learn how to re-navigate now every single day in their life. There's no end to this. So in the meantime, because we know that this is something of a new way of life that you have to figure out how to navigate through, what are we going to do about it to help and prevent other families from going through the same? So yes, the power is within us. Unity is the ultimate answer. And not only us unifying, but creating things where we are alternating the entire infrastructure. You know? And and like we said, this right here, what we have in this room, this is powerful. This could be a path within itself. You know? And then now, you're endorsing candidates. You're helping campaigns. You're supporting people that are going to make laws that are going to prevent people from being killed by police, severely injured by police, how can police investigate, all of these things, you know, you're building what our new ecosystem is going to look like. So there is some level of like, we are where we are now, but I'm excited to be a part of where we are going with this, because we are moving regardless. It's right now having these healthy conversations to figure out which way which way we're going, and laying the roadmap to it to make sure we're on the right track, but we're going regardless. So I'm excited to be here with all of you guys tonight, and I don't know if we're concluding, if this is a, a conclusion or anything like that, 
so much empathy for everything that everyone has been through tonight. And I and I know that uh, this level of testimony and trauma is something that can really, like I said, replant and change this entire ecosystem moving forward. Uh, Dr.
this is a work that has a, a has a long trajectory, right? Um, I say voting is just one tool in the toolbox, but it's an important tool. Vote and hold people accountable. Come with us on this journey, because we won't change the system. We won't create a system to fuck the system. I think I might be the senior president, so I feel comfortable using that. But 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 that's what's needed. And we can sit home and act like we're hopeless and helpless, or we get off of our convenience and do something about it. It's my hope that you will join us. Life after the impact. We just one one is other groups in the room. Coalition of Concerned Mothers is here. Join us in this in this fight. Don't sit back and say, and then when your children, your grandchildren one day say, well, um, Grandma, Grandpa, what did you do when they were killing us in mass? What did, you, what, what did you do? How did you get involved? And you can tell your children, your grandchildren, how you got involved. So we hope you'll join us. This has been Life After the Impact. Have a good evening. <laughs> Should be 
Twitter or how they do their lives. Um, so for BLM, um, please, please, please take an impact report. I think transparency and accountability for um, the work that we do as well as the money that we have to spend is really important. Um, and you can reach us on all of the social medias, um, but you can also go to dcblm.org um, and all that stuff is kind of on there in a way that I put it, that you'll probably understand. <laughs> and um, I definitely wanted to say thank you for having me here tonight. Um, this has been an absolute honor. I'm here in front of all of you guys, not as a politician or as an activist, but I am a mother of a nine-year-old son. And I can tell you that my relationship with him, the way that I love him, the things that I do for him, has everything that you guys have been through has impacted me directly, even just uh, me as a mother. So the gratitude for the work that you guys are doing is unremarkable. And um, I'm honored to be sitting here amongst all of you guys tonight. And I look forward to being of assistance and helping us navigate what's next. So thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, hope everyone has a good night. So you guys, we have been trying to, like I said again, this is about you know raising money and whatnot for legal funds. As far as the families are concerned, we are doing a fundraiser right now for like the impact. You go onto the um, website, lightupforimpact.org. I think we're gonna end it by tomorrow. The goal was to sell fifty shirts. We're at like eighteen or something like that. So, uh, but. Literally, all the women that have raised that go to a legal fees. Not how legal fees, it's all legal fees for us families are concerned. Um, just about a case is like $495. This is the officially foul case. That's actually what you think it does to even look at. So, oftentimes, the foul case is not, it costs real money, and families do things they don't want to avoid, and they're like, they don't want to avoid the money and whatnot. So, our whole goal is to get raising these funds so families can have an option you know, to go and keep them afford. So, if you can't buy a shirt, that's fine. Please share it on social media as well. Um, I want to thank you guys all tonight coming out here. Because again, we don't have a pet house, but who's here is going to be here tonight. I want to make sure that in the before you guys, we hold ourselves accountable, not to the police, not to the system, but ourselves accountable for getting the work done. That's Everybody can do something that you don't have to sit home and feel helpless and hopeless. We gotta stop allowing people to talk us out of our power. That's the main thing. Can't change overnight, but we gotta start somewhere. Might as well go ahead and start here. We didn't.